I want to welcome everyone listening to the podcast today. Uh, this is a sort of a late, late, late Christmas message. It's a bit late. I know we're somewhere in the middle of January now. And, uh, but I was just before Christmas, like many of you will have done, I was rereading the kind of the birth of Jesus story again. Because that's essentially what it is, isn't it? It's not really a Christmas story. It's a birth of Jesus story, a nativity story. And uh, I wanted to bring just some wisdom from the story that may be beneficial to us as we uh, move our way into 2011. There is so much wisdom to be found in the story And I've got so much to say that I better just get on with it. So my question as we open up our time of teaching today is this. From that nativity story, that that Christmas story, what does the story teach us about some of the components of God's will or God's ways in our lives? What can we learn, particularly from Mary and Joe? about the way that God works and particularly about the ways that God may well be working in our lives in 2011. So because we're so familiar with the story, we'll read a little bit of, a little bit of it in a short time. But uh, let's, let's begin. Number one, what do we learn from the story of Mary and Joseph and Bethlehem and Jesus being born, we learn that disappointment is not disaster. Do you know that the birth of Jesus Christ was prophesied centuries before he came? Isaiah, that some of us are reading at the moment in the week, he's talking about Jesus, and he's talking about Jesus 700 years actually plus but seven centuries before he came. And David, King David, (coughs) speaks about Jesus, of course, and Micah the prophet, and Jesus said that all the scriptures spoke about him. Moses said that God would raise up a prophet like him, and he's speaking about Jesus. So here's a good question. If the birth of Jesus was known for 700 years Before he came, why didn't somebody make a hotel reservation in Bethlehem? I mean, if you suddenly called out to go someplace, then of course, uh, is there going to be a room? But God, maybe Mary and Joseph didn't know, but God knew that Christ was going to be born centuries before, in fact, God knew before the creation of the world. It's just amazing, isn't it? God was able to speak to Isaiah. He was able to speak to Mary and Joseph. He was able to speak to Micah. He was able to speak to King David. He was able to speak to Moses, but he wasn't able to speak to the innkeeper. Well, we weren't expecting you. (laughs) You weren't expecting us. Haven't you read the Old Testament? Now, I want you to imagine... You believing you're in the will of God. You're Joseph. Let's imagine you're Joseph. You're having to take it on trust 
You've had a vision in the night. You've had a word with an angel. And you're having to take it on trust that the baby inside your wife is from the Holy Spirit. And when you arrive at the place where the baby is supposed to be born, there's no room. There's no room. Either in the house or the hotel or wherever they were trying to stay, there's no room. Lesson number one then. In the will of God, there are disappointments. Can you say amen? Just because the door has not opened does not mean that some terrible mistake has occurred. Just because you didn't get the job doesn't mean that you're not in the will of Almighty God. Just because a door shut in your face doesn't mean that something has gone terribly wrong with heaven's plans for you. You'd have thought if any door could have opened, it would have been for Mary and Joseph and the, and the soon and coming King Jesus. But the door was closed. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? And so many Christians, they take open and closed doors as sort of absolute top-notch signs from God as to what he wants to do. A friend of mine once said to me, he was moving somewhere. And when he moved there, as soon as he moved there, someone gave him a home to stay in. They were looking for a, a place to stay in a big city. And as you know, it's difficult to find a place on a small price in a big city. We know that. And uh, when he arrived, someone gave him a house for you know very little rent. And I remember he, he said to me, he said, well, now we know we're in the right place. It's a real sign to us that we're in the right place because we've been given this house. And I wanted to thank God that he'd got the house. But do you know what? It's not a sign when things are going well that you're in the right place. Because often in the will of God, we struggle with many, many disappointments. Doors that don't open. And sometimes if you listen to the wrong people, you might be tempted to think that something's gone wrong or you're out of God's will because if, if you were in God's will, all the, all the lights would be green. But they're not, are they? And many times the lights are red. Even in the lives of a wonderful, in love with Jesus Christian, sometimes the lights are not green they are red. So we learn here that a closed door or two does not mean we're out of God's will. Sometimes I want to thank God for every closed door that's been in my life. Can you say that? Sometimes, thank God, God closes doors. Thank God he does. Thank God he didn't get that job. Thank God you didn't marry him. Oh, I, well, Lord, you've got to make him marry me. God says, I really don't want him to marry you at all. And when you live with him, you'll know that that's true. Or her, ladies, careful now. We want to thank God for every closed door he shuts. 
Thank God for every time he locks a door and we can't go through. We get disappointed. We say, Lord, I prayed about it. Lord, I even fasted my lunch. But you want to say, Lord, thank you. Why don't we say it? Lord, thank you. Come on, Lord, thank you for every time you've locked a door. He says, I have the key of David. What I lock, no one can open. What I open, no one can shut. Our God is a God of doors, but he's not always a God of the open door. He's the God of the right door. And ladies, sometimes Mr. Mr. Right is not Mr. Right now. So the door was shut. Paul writes in Colossians, he says, uh, chapter 4, verse 3, he says, I want you to pray that a door will open. See, Paul knew what it was to have closed doors. You can pray the doors open, but I tell you, you want to be glad when sometimes they don't. So that's number one. How are we going to look at our lives in this year? How are we going to operate our Christian lives with the, the sense of disappointments are not disasters? Sometimes we go through things and do things we should not. We want to be glad when we can't. Number two, reasonable doubt is allowed. I put here, it's okay to review personal revelations and get a second opinion. When the Christmas story begins, as brilliantly, by the way, dramatized by the BBC a few weeks ago, Joseph wants to divorce Mary. That's how the story begins. If you really want a genuine nativity play, the curtain ought to rise at a divorce court. That's where the story sort of begins. Where Joseph's going, that's it now, it's over. You understand, in their culture, to be engaged was as much as to be Married almost, and so you had to divorce even if you were engaged. And he does not believe her. He does not believe her. She says, I'm with child with the Holy Spirit, and he does not believe her. And similarly, over in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 34, we read there, when, now, I, this is amazing to me, but anyway, it's in the Bible, so it must be true. An angel is standing in front of Mary and saying to her, you are going to have a son. Now, I don't know what you would do if an angel, I mean, if if you're a lad, maybe that'd be a bit surprising. But um, if an angel were to appear and give you a word, I'm not talking now about a visiting preacher giving you a word. I'm not talking about Brother Dingling in his purple tie giving you a word. I'm talking about the angel Gabriel gives you a word. That's probably a good word. The angel Gabriel is giving you a word. And what does Mary say? Oh, thank you very much. I'll just write that down. Can you say that again? Can we get this on tape? She says this. How can these things be? Or how shall it be? To determine which version of the Bible you have. How can this be? She asks him, are you really sure about that? Mary asked the angel Gabriel, are you really sure about that? And Joseph is so disbelieving of his wife. 
that he wants to take her to divorce. Now, the truth is this, of course, the word given was true. But do you know, I just want to throw this in as some practical wisdom for 2011 and beyond. It's okay to have a bit of reasonable doubt. It's okay to say, do you know what? I do not doubt the voice of God, but I do doubt my ability to hear it. Right? Now, now we need to keep a balance with this. Our God is a God who speaks. And he says in his word that my sheep know my voice. And let him who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. We want to be a people who have an ear to hear. Can you say amen? We want to be able to hear God. And guess what? When you got born again, God wired a telephone socket into your spirit and he can call you. Couldn't call you too much before, but when he got born again, the Holy Spirit came and he brought internet with him. You can have an email from God now. You can have a telephone call from God now. We are a people who hear the voice of God. But don't be afraid. To also occasionally say, I'm not sure about that. Or how can these things be? Sometimes it's wise to get a second opinion. And talk to somebody. Do you know, do you know why Mary went to see Elizabeth in the Christmas story? There's probably a lot of reasons. But one of them is because she was also a lady who heard from God. And when you think you've heard from God, why don't you go and mix yourself with other people who hear from God and allow them to guide you and to speak into your life a bit. Many times, pastors and pastoral leaders are sitting in counseling sessions, having conversations, picking up the pieces where people believed God said something and he did not. Time has proven it to be not the case. My favorite line, I've said this to you many times before, is when someone comes to me and says this, Peter, God has said this to me, what do you think? I want to say, well, if God has said it to you, who cares what I think? But allow your spirit to be a little bit more humble than that. Why don't you try this? I believe God may be saying this to me, what do you think? Because we are to test the spirits. Because not every spirit is from God. Can you say amen? And things are to be judged. So get a second opinion. And a lot of people would have had a lot less heartache if they'd had the humility to get a second opinion much earlier than they did. That's the second thing. Reasonable doubt is allowed. Just because somebody says it's God doesn't mean it is. Just because you believed it was God doesn't mean it is. It's good for us to be together on that journey and help each other. Number three, penniless is not powerless. This couple, Mary and Joe, they didn't have a lot of money. They, in fact, they could, you know, they couldn't really afford a place to stay. And we read in a later part of that story, in Luke uh, chapter 2 and verse 24, it says that they 
when they went to bring an offering for Jesus at the temple, they brought the cheapest offering you can bring, a, a dove or some pigeons. So they, they well, were on income support kind of thing. You know, they were officially poor. They brought that kind of offering. Mary and Joseph did not have a whole load of money. But guess what? They were in God's will. And the idea that unless you are brimming over with money, something's gone terribly wrong in your Christian life is false. Because nearly all the characters in the New Testament, including Jesus himself, who said, uh, foxes have holes in the ground and birds have nests, but I've got nowhere to lay my head. All the characters in the New Testament, we were reading earlier this week about the Apostle Paul who said for many, on many occasions he had gone without food or drink. They were all struggling with cash, let me tell you. They were all struggling. Silver and gold have I none, said Peter and John in Acts chapter 3. But just because you're penniless doesn't mean you're powerless. Doesn't mean you're powerless. And sometimes you get a zero balance. Sometimes you run out of money. But here's the good news. While provision is not always prosperity in the way that we'd like. Here's the promise of God, especially to those who are givers. You will always have everything you need. Not everything you want. But everything you need. You'll always have everything you need. That couple hardly had any money, but they did have enough money for the doves. They didn't have a lot lot of money, but they did have enough provision to stay in a barn and have Jesus be born in a manger. You know, what's amazing to me is this. I guess this has happened to you too. I've been saving up for a little while. I was saving up last year, saving my, saving money. And you know what happens, don't you, when you save money? You're looking at it thinking, I, I've saved, I've saved some money. Zippity doo da, zippity day. And then you see it in the diary, don't you? MOT, ah, that'll be all right. And it goes, out it comes. Then he looks at you and say, how did my card do with the MOT? How did it do? And he gives you that. It's a death trap, mate. Look. <laughs> and do you know what I had to do? I had to go and take the money I'd saved for ice cream and things like that. And I had to spend it on the car. It's wrong. But you know, through that, through that painful process, and Lord, I, I've learned the lesson. I don't need to go through that again. But I felt like God spoke to me through it. He said, don't you understand? I let you save the money because I knew you were going to have to pay for the car. Why do you save money to spend it later? But I didn't want to spend it on the car. They did things to the car. I don't even know what they are. It sounds the same to me. I haven't got a clue what they did. Except it cost hundreds of pounds. No, you know what? You're always going to have everything you need. And I've had to learn this year that it's okay to spend money you've saved. 
Because you saved it in order to spend it. If you save it in order to see a figure of money, come here, I'll write a thousand pound on a bit of paper, give it to you, stick it on your wall, just look at it every day. In 2011, don't be afraid when things go wrong and you have to spend money because that's why it's there. Well, I'll throw that in for free. Number four, double trouble. Yeah, here's a good one. We don't see this dramatized too much in the nativity story, but really... Mary and Joseph's Christmas, wasn't, it wasn't great, you know. They were on the run from people who wanted to kill them. Right? They weren't sitting in a, in a, in a barn singing Silent Night. People wanted to kill them. Herod wanted to kill Jesus and presumably he wouldn't have mind bumping off them and all. And then when you get later in the story, it says they moved around, Herod was dead, and then they went to another place where Joseph has another dream to say Herod's got a son who's just as nasty as he was. You better move again. Joseph said, oh Lord, the estate agent fees that we're going through here. (sighs) Joseph could have said, Lord, Am I not in your will? If I'm in your will, why are people trying to kill me? Well, hopefully no one's trying to kill you. But we have trouble, don't we? Double trouble. One problem is over and then another one comes along. Now, you might have wanted a happier message today. I appreciate that. But I'm telling the truth because that's what the years are like. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. Sometimes we have more than we need, sometimes we don't. Sometimes doors open, sometimes they're closed. But don't be shaken in your faith, because Emmanuel is still God is with us. And God was still with them, even while Herod and his various offspring were trying to kill them. Paul says in Acts 14, verse 22, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And so we mustn't be surprised if sometimes, you know, we become caught up in trouble. Nothing's gone wrong. We're still in the will of God. And Emmanuel is still God with us. Number five. Team marriage. Mary and Joseph, they're a team. Let me just talk to married people here for a moment. Do you know what Joseph did? An angel had to prompt him. But Joseph recognized the gift in his spouse, did he not? Joseph recognized that God had given Mary a special gift. What do we learn from the Christmas story? 
I think we recognize, or I think we learn this, that we must recognize the gifts that are in our lives. Sir, you are supposed to build your wife up. Sir, you are supposed to tell her how beautiful she is. You're not supposed to throw out any of her clothes. Although that, we may have an exception shortly. Christ wants to build up the church. And a man should treat his wife as Christ treats the church. And I've learned that women have many gifts. Women have abilities that men do not have. It works the other way too, by the way. But he recognized the gifts that, that had been in his wife's life. He recognized her testimony too, the things God had spoken to her. And lady, you ought to be building up your husband too. There's nothing more ugly than a lady who wants to trash her husband, especially in some sort of public setting. Can you say amen? They built one another up. In 2011, if we're going to know success, we're going to know the will of God, we're going to need to do that. Building one another up. Recognizing the gifts of God in one another. The other thing I noticed they did is they made a lot of decisions. Now this is now broader than married couples. So single people, listen to me too now. One of the things that goes on in this story is they're always making decisions. By the way, Joseph is the one making most of the decisions. There's a little thing where Sometimes men don't like to make decisions. I think that can happen among men where they just want to wait a bit longer. But this man had to make decisions. He had to be the head of his home. And he had to say, okay, we're going to Bethlehem. And then he had to say, okay, we're going into Egypt. And then he had to say, okay, we're going to go back to Israel. And then he had to say, okay, we're going north. We're going to go to Nazareth. Listen to me very carefully because I think the Spirit of God might want to talk to someone about this here. They didn't just pray about the will of God. They did it. And sometimes doing the will of God involves making big decisions. And for some of you listening to me here today, In 2011, you have to make some big decisions. And some of the decisions, listen to me so carefully, please. Some of the decisions you have to make, you're not always going to know for sure that God is 100% in it because your ability to hear from God is not as good as you'd like it to be. And what we can be assured of is this, that if we walk humbly before the Lord and we seek to make decisions, we're going to believe in the God who closes doors. 
But we're not going to believe in a God who makes our decisions for us. Joseph had to make decisions. Let's go. The angel didn't send a chariot and take them. He had to get the donkey up. I'm not talking about his wife now. I mean the real donkey. And he had to go. It wasn't as funny as that. Come on now. Just came to me then. I don't plan this exceptional humor, you know. To not make a decision is a, is a decision in itself, is it not? And sometimes we put off, put off, put off making a decision and all we do, we're actually making a decision, we're not going to do it because of fear. But sometimes, my friend, you have to make a decision. You have to say, you know what, I don't know if this is 100% right or wrong, but I am going to leave this job or I am going to seek after another job. I don't know if it's 100% right, but I am going to marry this man. I don't know if, if, if you're a woman, by the way. I don't know if this is 100%, but I am going to go on this mission. I don't, I haven't, got, the angel Gabriel has not appeared before me, but I am going to buy this car. And we, if we're going to be successful Christians, we have to do more than just make prayers. We have to make decisions. Make decisions. And of course, you, need, you might need to get a second opinion. You might need to ask people what they think. And of course, you need to pray. But they got up and went, got up and went, got up and went all the time. And sometimes, I'll just finish with this, sometimes we want God to make the decision. And so he can get the blame if it don't work. Well, Lord, you told me. But actually, God gives us wisdom and his word and good godly counsel among us. And we say, well, we do not know exactly if this is right or wrong, but this is what we're going to do. It may not be the right time in the market. It may not be the right, but this is what I'm going, I'm going to make a decision in 2011. And maybe there's a prophetic element to that to a few people hearing me today. Number six, finally, you'll be pleased to know. It doesn't matter where you go in the world. It doesn't matter who it is. There's just something glorious when the preacher says, finally. Number six of wisdom from the nativity story is this. That vocation has location. Vocation has location. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is this. There was a place, wasn't there? In the Christmas story, There was a place. O you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are the very least of the cities of Judah, out of you will come a king, one who will shepherd my people Israel. To you this day is born in the city of David, Bethlehem, a savior who is Christ the Lord. There was a place 
for them to be. I mean, an address, a geographical locale. Jesus must be born in Bethlehem, so off you go. And they had to travel 80 miles on the little donkey. No wonder he had a heavy day, as the carol says. Mary had an even heavier day. And then they go to Egypt because it was prophesied, out of Egypt I call my son. I want to say this to you, that there are one or two exceptions maybe to this. But your destiny is dependent on God and you, your character, your willingness to obey him. Partly to do with your faith, partly to do with your sanctification. But there's another element that sometimes is neglected and it's location. Sometimes you have to be in the right place for prophecy to be fulfilled. A church alive is worth the drive. Sometimes you have to be in the right place. Sometimes your vocation in God relies on a great many things, but one of them is your location in God. Where you are. We've seen people uh, be part of a great church and then uh, they moved away and their fire went out. What happened? Did God change his mind? No. Did, did they change? No. But what changed was they were no longer among living stones that were ablaze. That's what happened. They weren't in a place where the anointing of God allowed them to find their role. Your vocation has a location. All the way through this story, they are traveling around left, right, and center. Even the three wise men have to come 800 miles to get to church. So I want to encourage you in 2011, make sure you're in the right place. Now, this is not a... I'm not motivated in any way to say that this church is your place. I believe for many of you, of course, it is. But you have to find your place. You have to find where you're supposed to be. Churches are not restaurants where we have three favorites and we either go here, here, or here. You do not have a job in such a restaurant. If you are a waiter, you must go to only one restaurant. And God is looking not just for people who will come and eat, but for people who will come and serve at tables. And so this is the sixth thing we learn from the story. That in order to find true vocation in Christ, very often there is a location involved in it. Not every church is the same. Not every um, a Christian ministry is the same. And you need to find a place that sharpens you because iron sharpens iron. And those who walk with the wise grow wise. Bad company corrupts good character too. 
So in 2011, be sure you find yourself in the right place. And whether it's a costly thing to be in that place, whether it entails more effort to be in that place, whether it's more miles to be in that place, hear the word of the Lord. Plant yourself by the, uh, by the stream. Plant yourself by the river. And you will be like a tree bearing fruit in season. Why don't we stand together? If you're listening to us on the King's Cast, God bless you. Have a good day.